Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitmiles.com. Thanks for listening. to give you a little bit of information from last Sunday night. We had a congregational meeting and the elders were approved, the budget was approved. Uh, We were able to talk about some of the things that God has been doing this past year, some of the exciting things, the lives that were changed, the the transformations that have taken place. It's always good to talk about that and to celebrate that. Talked a little bit about what we are looking for in this next year. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about this morning and tell you about, make sure you get this on your calendar, is Grow 2023. One of the values that we have at Summit Church is, is growth. Um, want, we want people to be maturing in their faith, to growing uh, uh, closer to Christ, to become more and more like Him. I, I don't think there's ever a point in our lives when when we should stop growing spiritually. And so um, that, that is an important piece. So Grow 2023. And this year, we're talking about seeking God's Holy Spirit together. So Grow 2023, scheduled March 26. It's a Sunday morning. It's a Sunday evening, a Monday, a Tuesday, and a Wednesday evening. We're going to be meeting at 6.30 on, on those evenings. Uh, it, it's an all-church gathering, and our focus is going to be knowing and experiencing the, the person and the work of, of God's Holy Spirit. Look, powerless lives, I think sometimes poorly utilized spiritual gifts, and too much carnal living is the result of ignoring the person and the work of God's Holy Spirit. We believe that for the days in which we live, that's, that's, a fatal, that's a fatal flaw. We need to know the person and the work of God's Holy Spirit. So we, we believe that, that taking some time uh, this, this next, um, next year, end of March, in those special services, it's an opportunity to lead people to, to know and to experience God's Holy Spirit. Mark your calendars for that. Hope that you're uh, a part of that. Uh, it is good to worship together this morning, celebrating Christ at Christmas, investing in one another. And it reminds me, my, my brothers, my sisters, that we have an, a moral uh, obligation, uh, an ordained responsibility, it, and it's not simply to please ourselves. The world leads, lives to please themselves, but we have a responsibility to know God. And by the way, to know God is to, is to love God. Know God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. In order to know God, your head has to be in the game, right? So there's some things that you need to know. There's, your, your head has to be active. And not just your head, but the next part of what we are, we're supposed to do is not only to know God, but to love our neighbors. And so we have this, this obligation to, to, to love others. That's where your heart is involved. Um, and then another important part that we talk about is the mission of our church. How we work this out is that we have an obligation to serve the world. And that's where your hands become engaged as a Christian. You're serving others. So knowing God, loving people, serving the world with our head and our hearts and our hands. And there's a there's a worldly notion that I'm here to, to love only me and to serve me. You know, we, we, we you know, do what's good for you. You know, do, do what, what, what's good for you. Well, that's a, that's a worldly notion. But now, watch this. I think you do need to love yourself. Uh, you do need to learn to take care of yourself. Uh, scripture says you're supposed to love others like you love yourself. I think there's some people that are struggling um, with with loving themselves, and it makes it near impossible for them to love others. So you got to get you got to get that right too. Um, in fact, take what what is something? Have you thought about this? What is something that you love about yourself? What comes to mind? Say, so listen, I know me. 
What is something that you love about yourself? Have you thought about that recently? Um, you got to take just a quick moment this, this morning and give yourself a hug, right? God made you. He created you, created in his image, and he said it's good. We live in a fallen world. We've all made mistakes. There's all kinds of issues. But what is something that you love about yourself? You need to understand that. But don't get, in, don't get confused into thinking that, you see, we have to avoid the ditches. You had to do that on the way to church this morning. Avoid the ditches, right? And so, you know, you don't, you don't fall in one side that says, listen, I'm only going to love myself or I'm not going to love myself. No, you, you love yourself, but you also love others. Don't get confused into thinking you're only supposed to use all your energy to love yourself. There are some, listen to this, there are some traditionally hardworking, principled, disciplined people who are working to better themselves in this world and they're all about that, and they're going to end up bankrupt in the next world. There are plenty of people who are primarily concerned about how much they have here on earth, and they don't bother themselves considering how much they have there in eternity. So obviously, uh, this morning, I'm, I'm addressing Christians right now, because if you're, if you're not a Christian who's headed to heaven, then, you know, saving for hell is a non-starter, Okay? And let's put it that way. The Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Rust won't ruin it. Moths won't eat it. Fire won't consume it. You say, well, how do you lay up treasure in heaven? Be humble and pure in heart. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Show mercy. Endure suffering for the sake of righteousness. Be the salt and the light of the earth. Follow God's commands. Provide for the needs of others. Go the extra mile. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Love your enemies. Pray for those who disagree with you. Forgive others. Pursue the things of God. When's the last time you spent time uh, um, fasting? Scripture doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. Trust God. Don't be judgmental. Defend the faith. Uh, disciple other people. Those are things that you do to lay up treasure in heaven. Those are things that you and I are called to do. That's not just preacher's work, right? That's parishioner's work. That's for all of us. Anyone who follows Jesus Christ, those are, those are things that we're supposed to be doing that God has, 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 has given us an obligation to be a part of. And, you know, be a peacemaker. Again, you've heard me say this before. There's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. If, our goal is not to be peacekeepers. If you try that, you'll fail. That's not the goal. The Bible says be a peacemaker. So, well, why are you sharing this with me this morning? Well, here's what I know. In the next few days, the next couple of weeks, you're going to have opportunities to sit down with people um, at, at a dining room table or um, in your kitchen or in your living room. You're going to be sitting down with people who, who may disagree with you. Um. Biblical decision-making is not a peaceful act, per se. There's people who think, and I think sometimes you know, people get sanctimonious about this. They think they're so smart, they can make peace with the world. Jesus couldn't. What makes you think you can? Uh, I understand. I, I've read Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, On earth, peace. But don't forget to read the rest of the sentence. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So in a general sense, we see God's word and his goodwill toward people in providing the Savior, the Prince of Peace. But we often think about it sentimentally, sentimentally instead of theologically. The peace, peace only comes in this world. Peace only comes when you make peace with God your creator by believing in Jesus Christ his Son. That's where peace comes from. Um, those who put their faith in Christ. Um, and you weigh that out with our thinking. We also have to hear the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 10. Jesus announced this. He said, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. So were the angels lying or was Jesus lying? Okay, you have to understand the context of Scripture. Peace comes to those on whom his favor rests. The only time you're going to find peace. Otherwise, there's times you're going to be swimming upstream and, and, and making decisions based 
you know, on rightly dividing the word of truth. Confrontation, listen, confrontation is at the heart of the gospel. But truth is our bedrock. Our allegiance is to Christ. Our goal is not to be liked by the world. The, the world hates the kingdom of God. We don't hate the world. We serve the world, but the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Scripture says that. So we're, we're called to make some, uh, some radical commitments to Jesus. The gospel is a message of peace that divides between those who choose it and those who reject it. And, and I'm sharing that with you this morning. By the way, this is the first message. The second one's coming yet. You're going to be faced with some, some potentially difficult situations. And, and how do you how do you disagree with someone? In a, you know, there's, if when you're in the, in, you know, getting your hair cut, um, barbers and beauticians, don't talk about religion or politics, right? Probably somebody's going to bring up religion and politics in your family circle this, this, these next few weeks. Um, how are you going to talk about that? How can you disagree with someone and, and still have an agreeable spirit? The world is in such conflict. So, Indeed, um, we're swimming upstream, and indeed, the things of this world are, you know, are, they confound, the wisdom of this world is, is foolishness, and, and, and the wisdom of God confounds the wise. So how are you going to handle those conversations? And I just want to say, you need, I want you to think about those conversations and what, what you might say and how you might handle those situations before you run into them. And, and sometimes you don't have to win an argument, just let your light shine. Do you have a witness? Do you, do you, is there a word of encouragement? Is there something different about you that would draw them to Jesus as opposed to you trying to push them through some, 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 uh, um, you know, some, some process to Jesus? Can, is there something that would draw them to Jesus because of the way you live your life and the way you engage with them and the way you talk to them? Is there some truth um, that, that you can ex express? Do you, and as simple as this, do you know what Jesus has done for you? What difference in your life does it make that Jesus Christ is your Savior? And can you articulate that? I say, listen, here's what Jesus did for me. Is there a peace in your life that, that you didn't have before? Is there some assurance in your life that you didn't have before? Is there uh, um, some civility to your tongue that you didn't have before because the Spirit of God lives within you? Those are things that you, you and I need to think about. I'm just trying to help you for a conversation that you may have later this week or next. All right? Think about that. Now, take your Bibles and turn with me. <laughs> you want to go home? I still have 32 minutes. I got more gas in the tank. All right. We still have a load of hay. Let's go. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, Mary's Song. Look in verses 46 through 55. You know, I love you. I'm trying to help you. And you know, we need a clear witness in the world. We do. A testimony of lives that have been changed by the gospel. Um, the, the revolutionary transition that has happened in our life. Our scripture this morning is talking about that kind of a revolution. This passage of scripture, also known as the Magnificat, after the Latin translation of the first few words, my soul magnifies the Lord. We sang a portion of this passage of Scripture this morning. It's Mary's response to God's goodness to her when she visited her cousin Elizabeth. We talked a couple of weeks ago about um, how, how God, he, he's he, he speaks up and he shows up. What do we do when he shows up, but sometimes when he doesn't? How, what do we do when God when he speaks up, here, here's the situation we're talking about. How does God hold us up? What, what is the hope that we have in God? Because of who he is and what he has done. What hope do we have in this world? Is, is the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, is it a true anchor or, 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 or are you in a hopeless situation? And today, I want, I want, to, want you to see the hope that we have in God. And, and it comes from these <clears throat> few verses um, spoken by Mary. It's Mary's response to the goodness of God when she visited Elizabeth. By the way, Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. This trip from Nazareth to a Judean city in the vicinity of Bethlehem would have involved a distance of some 80 miles. It was a long journey for a young woman. And as you read the story, it makes you just stop and think, why did she go 80 miles to talk to her 
cousin. Well, for one, just some observations from the text. No other members that I can see of Mary's family are listed. It doesn't talk about her family. Uh, there are some scholars that think she may have been an orphan even. That she was a, 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 a peasant, servant girl. Um, her family that is mentioned in Scripture is Elizabeth. Um, but here's the, the thing that is amazing. God has just revealed through the angel Gabriel that she's going to give birth to, to a, a son who is the Savior of the world, and who's going to name him Jesus, and she's, she's realizing all of this, and she's got to tell somebody. You know, at some point, she told Joseph, and that traditional guy, I mean, he was having none of it there for a while. God sent the angel Gabriel to him and got him straightened out in a dream, right? But she goes to her cousin Elizabeth, pregnant, (laughs) a pregnant barren woman. (laughs) You're sleeping. That went right over your head. A pregnant barren woman. And she's past childbearing years, but here she is pregnant, conceiving her first child, and Mary's thinking to herself, well, yeah, that's unbelievable, but wait till she hears what the angel said to me. If, she, if, if God can open, you know, a, a virgin's womb to, to bear a child, you know, I'm sure that, you know, the same thing, Elizabeth is, was a barren woman, and, and she's, you know, he... he, he a barren woman's having a child. Here I am, a virgin having a child. And she began to relate. In the narrative, Mary greets Elizabeth, and she's pregnant with John, John the Baptist, the one sent by God to prepare the way for the Lord, announcing, introducing the Christ who came after him in the world. The Messiah was, you know, the long-awaited king. And John the Baptist was the one born just a few months before, or a few, uh, yeah, months before Jesus. And, and as they grew up, he became the forerunner to the Christ. And Elizabeth when she, she sees Mary and hears that greeting, the, the baby inside of her leaps and she's full of the Holy Spirit. She expresses, expresses gratitude that Mary has visited her with, with some great news. And what, what is it? I mean, there's so many places to stop here and think about this, but when you, you are, are a, a barren woman, it, way past um, having a child, wanted one all your life, and all of a sudden you're pregnant, that's good news. That's going to be life-changing kind of stuff. Um, and to know that God had ordained all of that. that. That is amazing news. What is amazing is she also had in her, you know, her ability to celebrate the fact that there was a, 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 a relative of hers, Mary, who was coming, who also had some good news. You just stop there long enough and say, praise God for what he does good for you. Can you praise God with what he's doing in others' lives? That would go a long way to grease the skids and some family stuff. Can you celebrate with someone else when they've been blessed? I'm not sure where that quite, well, it came from the scripture, but it wasn't in my notes. But maybe somebody needed to hear that. Filled with the Spirit. It's the same word, interesting, the word filled with the Spirit. It was, it's the same word that they used talking about nets that were full of fish. Later in the New Testament, it talks about the sponge that was filled, that was hyssop, that was, was raised to Christ when he was, he said, I thirst, and they raised a, a sponge to, to quench his thirst on the cross. It's this idea of so full that it, it just runs out. It was overflowing. She couldn't contain, contain it. And she praises Mary for her faith to believe in, in the Lord's promises. She blesses Mary. She, she exclaims, you've received favor from God. And what's exciting is Mary heard that, and she believed it. Elizabeth, six months pregnant, when Mary got there, Scripture says that Mary stayed with her for three months. So there's the implication of, of the fact that Mary was there when Elizabeth, the miracle of a barren woman who is now pregnant, gives birth to a, a son, John the Baptist, and Mary witnesses all of that. She stayed there and encouraged her heart, I'm sure. She goes, okay, that's how that's done. God has done it before. He's going to do it again. Let me... Let me stop there long enough to say this. There's a blessing that comes upon us when we take God at his word and simply believe the word of God. 
Elizabeth looks at her and says, you are blessed. You are blessed. You jump ahead, Mary quotes from Old Testament passages, 1 Samuel, the book of Psalms. 1 Samuel is the story of Hannah. It's this, this, this song that she, that, you know, that she says is a, is a is, she understood the words of God. She, she was a woman of the word. Not only she gotten into the word, the word had gotten into her. And there's power that's poured in her lives when we place our faith in him. So Mary's response to Elizabeth's blessing, her spirit-led acknowledgement of the fact that the baby conceived in Mary was, you know, by the Holy Spirit was none other than the Lord, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. It's, it's what we call the Magnificat, the, the, the idea that my soul magnifies, it's that magnifies the Lord. And I mentioned revolution a little earlier, and as I studied this out, discovered that many Bible scholars have commented on the character of Mary's song. They concluded that this Magnificat is one of the most revolutionary documents in Scripture. The, re- the word revolution means a sudden change, a radical change, a complete change. It was a revolution. E. Stanley Jones, famous preacher, said, that the Magnificat is one of the most revolutionary documents in the world. This song that Mary spoke, that we, we identify as Mary's song, is one of the most revolutionary documents in the world. Gel, uh, Gelden Hess, a uh, 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 Dutch theologian, said the Magnificat announces powerful revolutionary principles. Murrow was another theologian. He talked about the revolutionary germ found in the Magnificat. He agreed with William Barclay, an English theologian, who said that people have read it so often they've forgotten its revolutionary terror. It takes the standards of the world and turns them upside down. He goes on to say that in the Magnificat there are three revolutions. There's, uh, there's an economic revolution. Things get turned on their head economically. There's a political revolution. Things get turned on their head politically. And there's a moral revolution. Martin Luther, the great reformer himself, said that the magnificent comforts the lowly, but it terrifies the rich. I want you to listen this morning to the meaning of the words of this song. It may begin a revolution in your life. I'm in Luke chapter 1, notice verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's that verse 56 where we understand she went there when Elizabeth was about six months pregnant, and she stayed, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. There's the implication. She stayed with her cousin until John the Baptist was born, and then she went home. Mary's song, <clears throat> spoken by Mary, brings us hope. I want you to find hope in these words today. Here's the first thing Christ brings us hope at Christmas when we glorify him, when we rejoice. Watch this. Here's the hope, because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I have hope at Christmas because even as Mary identifies, she she says he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's been called to give birth to the promised Messiah. She's humble, she's blessed, uh, greatly blessed and highly favored, imperfect, but a forgiven child of God. Mary herself answered the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Notice Mary's own humility. You see, Mary was a member of the sinning race. She too needed a Savior. How do you know? She simply says this, I rejoice, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. If you're not a sinner, sinner, you don't need a Savior. She had a desperate need. She needed grace and hope and peace. She realized her sin, but she received her Savior. One of the things that brings us hope is is we have a Savior. 
He, he, he's been mindful of us. The greatest joy in life is to know that our sins have been forgiven. To know that heaven is our home. To know that the God who created this universe has delivered you from sin. That's the, that, that'll bring you peace. That'll bring you joy. That's what joy is all about. Experiencing God's great salvation that is provided to his son Jesus Christ. Mary was a thinker in Luke chapter 2. A little later, Dr. Luke talks about the, the experience of the disciples uh, or the the wise men coming to see Jesus and the shepherds. It says the shepherds went to Bethlehem to see the thing which the Lord had told them about. And, and so they went off. They found Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And uh, they were amazed at all the things that um, were, you know, they, they saw and they heard. And it says the disciples took off. They went, uh, or the shepherds took off, and they, they went their way. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart. She pondered them in her heart. She was a thinker. And... You think about all the craziness in her life, the uncertainty and all the fears that she surely had. But in the midst of it all, the thing that brought her hope was, I am, I'm giving birth to the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel. The certainty, the fears, that, that uncertainty she had, the fears that she had were overcome um, with praise. She wasn't crushed by anxiety. She was overcome by the greatness of God. By the way, we, we don't make God great. God is great. So when she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, he's been mindful. He's the mighty one. She's not making him great. He's already great. She's just acknowledging it. He doesn't become bigger. God doesn't become bigger. He just becomes bigger to us. My soul magnifies the Lord. Doesn't mean I'm going to make a small God look big. What she means is I'm going to make a big God look big as he really is. She didn't you know, God doesn't need to be enlarged. But her heart was enlarged, and she saw him. She was able to comprehend more of his glory. She began to praise and exalt him. By the way, <clears throat> oh man, this goes back to where we started. How will someone know or see to come to Christ unless God opens their hearts and their minds? One of the things you do is you pray, you say, listen, God, I, I, could, I could testify all day long here. Now, how will they know unless they hear? And so the, you hear the word, but... <clears throat> understand that God wants your loved ones saved too, also. And, and so he's at work. And so you trust God's Holy Spirit. Like John the Baptist went before the Christ, the Holy Spirit goes before you as you're ministering to your family, and he's opening their minds and their hearts so that their eyes can see, so that their, their, their hearts can receive, their minds can see. You pray, be praying for your loved ones that God would open their minds so that they could see who God is. And then when you are able to share the truth, that, 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 that word of truth falls in fertile soil and it bears fruit. It, it, takes, it takes root and it grows. She began to praise. She began to exalt him because her heart was enlarged. Favorite of Christmas is Dr. Seuss's story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. The Grinch, he's mean, he's nasty. He hated Christmas. He slinks down to Whoville, and he steals all their decorations and their presents and food, and he thought, well, whew, you know, Christmas is over. He'd stolen Christmas until he heard them singing. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. And then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. You see... What if God has the ability to open up a heart and a mind? So, and Mary, Mary said, oh, her heart just expanded at the wonder of who God was. God, that should bring you hope that God has been mindful of the humble estate of our servant. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, watch this, that rooted and established in love you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and how deep is the great love of God, the love of Christ. And to know this love 
that surpasses knowledge that may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that it has worked within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Let it be so. Whew. Look, <laughs> Mary, she was thinking about who God was. You, you don't walk into the presence of God singing songs about yourself. The Spirit of God floods your soul with enough light to just see a portion of His greatness. You do like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. He says, whoa, you see who God is. You go, whoa, whoa, is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. She had a view of God, and in light of that, she saw her. By the way, she not only saw God differently, she saw herself differently. In spite of her, huma her humanity, the honor conferred on her to be a mother of the Savior was indeed a crown of glory, a respectable position from, from a lowly position. You, you need to see yourself like that, too. If, you have, if you're a blood-bought child of God, you've confessed your sin, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're no longer a slave, you're a saint. You're, you're a son, you're a daughter of Jesus Christ. Because how you see God and what He does changes how you see yourself. That is something else Mary saw. Oh, God knew where she was. He knew how to get to her. God knows who you are, and He knows how to get to you. The plan wasn't like all the religious people of the day thought things would work out. Um, <laughs> watch this. Would you be offended if God brought the Savior to the world? from someone of another race or a political, different political background or maybe someone with a different financial status. I mean, from the line of Abraham and David, but in Bethlehem, Nazareth, in, you know, born in Bethlehem. By the way, the fulfillment of prophecy there, that's pretty amazing. That was also foretold. Isn't it amazing that the, this lowly estate, the, the, the religious leaders of the day were having a hard time with that. What's interesting, the disciples who followed Christ were even stranger, outcasts, Gentiles, harlots, former demon-possessed people, the blind, the lepers, those people who make up Jesus' congregation. Somebody asked me a question between services about our church that just been here a couple of weeks if you've had conversations to me with me about our church and you've been new here you probably heard me say something about yeah this is no perfect place if it was perfect as soon as I got here it got ruined so if it was perfect before that when I got here it got messed up so you know what none of us but God and we're Mary celebrating the fact that even in our lowliest state um, she said, "My God, God has been mindful." Mary was forced to see how, to change how she saw herself. You, you may need to change how you see yourself. God loves the underdog, the disqualified, the unimpressive. Mary stands before the Lord just like we do, needy and flawed, nothing to merit his favor, nothing to earn anything but judgment. She's amazed at the God who would find her in her situation, pick her up, pick her up, and change her life. Brings us hope. Here's something else. We have hope when reminded that he has done great things for us. <laughs> she praises him for his mercy and his might and his sovereignty. Talk about that a little bit more later, his faithfulness. She glorifies God for his power, his holiness. She celebrates the transforming work of God through the Messiah. Her eyes are clearly on Jesus. She hadn't even seen him yet. <laughs> Interesting. Jesus was talking to his disciples later, Thomas, who said, man, I I'm not going to believe unless I see. And then he shows his hands, his feet. Thomas says, I believe. Jesus looked at him and he said, blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. That's you and me. Mary hadn't seen the Christ yet. She knew what had been said to her. She, she knew that um, you know, she, was, she was now you know, three, you know, up to th in her first trimester, somewhere in her first trimester when she writes this song. He's done great things for me. You see, Christ on earth is God's revolution. It changes everything. It revolutionizes the way we think, the way we act, the way we live. 
We can finally uh, see because of Christ. We're finally alive because of Christ. We can be righteous because of Christ. In a world dominated by beauty and brains and bucks. Can I say it that way? God turned things around. We can see things in a different way. God respects the poor. Do you see that in here? He feeds the hungry. He remembers the outcast. A poor servant girl is promoted. She goes, Whew, amazing. He's done great things for me. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's mindful of the humble state of a servant. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Blessed because he has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Brings us hope. Here's something else. We have hope when we consider that he has extended mercy to those who fear him. You see that verse? <coughs> Excuse me. It says he has helped his people by being merciful. Merciful. You say, well... I can see how God was merciful to Mary and Joseph. They were good people. Um, they were godly people. Uh, they, they, they lived even sexually moral lives. But, you know, we look at ourselves many times and say, we're not perfect. We, we were born into sin and, and boy, we, we don't that, that, that testimony of Mary and Joseph may not have been our testimony. But, but you don't need to shrink back from the purity that we see in Mary and Joseph. You don't, you don't have to make them into people who are not in any way like us. If, if they were you know, here this morning, they would tell you that they were really no different than you and me. What happened to them was an act of God's grace and His mercy. And that same grace and mercy is available to you and to me. You see, the church, the church is for people who feel their own emptiness. God shows mercy to those who know that they need mercy. God is on the side of those who cannot make it on their own. So watch this. Grace is adding back the blessings that we don't deserve. Mercy is holding back the consequences we deserve. You see that? Mercy, it holds back the consequence. God is, and he's, he says, he's, he's thanking God for his mercy. It's holding back the consequences that we deserve. Grace is, is, is adding back the, the blessings that we don't deserve. Whoever you are, whatever you have is a direct result of the grace and mercy of an almighty God. And that, that one truth alone should lead us to our knees in gratitude to God. There's another reason for hope in this song. We see that he has acted with sovereignty and providence in the world. One of the things that brings us hope is that there's a sovereign God who acts with providence in the world. Now, providence is an interesting word, um, but it's, it's one of those interesting words that's not found in Scripture, per se. Just like the word Trinity is not found in Scripture. Sovereignty is found in Scripture. It talks about a sovereign Lord. And scholars will point out the difference between providence and sovereignty. They're not the same. God's sovereignty, watch this, God's sovereignty is His right and power to do all that He decides to do. He's sovereign. So He can do whatever, whatever He thinks, whatever He wants to do, he, he can do. He's sovereign. Look, by the way, um, one of the things that brings us hope, that God is sovereign. He can do what He wants to do. God is still in control of this, this world. He's given Satan who is described as the ruler of this age, some time and some authority. But it's limited. It's governed ultimately by God's power and God's authority. You don't have to worry that somehow God's going to get ousted or outsmarted in the end, right? Not going to happen. There's not going to be a glitch in God's sovereign plan. God is not intimidated by a regime of power or a political administration. He's sovereign. That gives me some hope. There's a, there is a sovereign God. Somebody who, who, is, who is running this ship? Oh, there is a God in heaven who is, has sovereignty. He, he has the right and the power to do all that he decides to do. By the way, no judge is going to be able to trump God. The person in the courthouse is not the most powerful person in the world. No president can trump God. The person in the White House is not the most powerful person in the world. Trump can't trump God. <laughs> Biden can't trump God. Bush can't trump God. You list them. 
George Washington, can't trump God. Let's give me some hope. There's somebody who knows what they're doing is in charge. All right? Why? God is sovereign. Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is sovereign. That gives me some hope. He said, listen, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Would you just hold your horses for a minute? God's in charge. He said, well, listen, there are a lot of things going on in the world that God didn't approve of. I didn't say that. In the case. Of course that's the case. But if you think God has lost control, you are mistaken. Mary says, oh, his sovereignty. Not only that, she talks about providence. Now, so God is sovereign, but nothing in the definition of sovereignty refers to God's wisdom or God's plans. It's just sovereignty, it's his right, you know, and his power. He has the right and the power to do what he decides. But when he decides to do a thing, he does it, and no one can stop him. That, that is what we describe as sovereignty. Providence, however, is something else. It includes some things that sovereignty doesn't. God's providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. So, in other words, uh, the, the, the sovereign acts of God are wise and purposeful. That's providence. Providentially, God moves and works. It's sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. Or you could say providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. God sees to it that everything that needs to be done to bring about his purpose happens the way he wants it to. In other words, he'll see to it. He will provide. It is good news to know that God is sovereign. He's going to take care of the things that need, he knows what needs to take place. And, and there's a reason and there's a purpose and there's a morality to it all. He's working all things for, together for those who love him according to his purpose, you know, for his glory and for our good. Isaiah, I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east, I will summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. Jesus, take the wheel. Providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. The Christ of Christmas gives us understanding to the danger of depending on human power or political power. Human power is temporary. It's earthly. We can understand what it means to serve in humility rather than prioritize. So his mercy extends. He's performed mighty deeds. Mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He performed mighty deeds. He scattered those who were proud. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. How many times has the Lord disposed of Herods and Hitlers and Husseins? He breaks their power. He blasts their projects. He brings them down, and the meek end up inheriting the earth. The Christ of Christmas helps us acknowledge the bankruptcy of counting on material possessions. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. This last thing. Mary, in her song, talks about how he's been faithful to his promises. She exalts God because he's been faithful to his promise to Abraham. <coughs> Mary knew the promise to Abraham. That God made a covenant promise to Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea, and that there would be a Messiah that would come through, the, through Abraham. Matthew's gospel records it in in, in his opening chapter, the, the generations that led down to Joseph, to, to, you know, of, of Nazareth, to the birth of the Christ. Mary knew, she saw God's faithfulness, the promise to Abraham, and she saw it lived out in front of her eyes. And yet, Mary is faced with this question, can this child really be the Christ? Is, is this child in me the Christ? And you know, you and I are faced with that decision at Christmas as well. Can this child really be the Christ? Is the Christ of Christmas the Savior, the Messiah? <clears throat> you know, there's a world of people, in fact, many in Israel today are still looking for the Messiah. There's some talk these days about some of the rabbis who claim that they've spoken to the new Messiah could very well be that there's one that Scripture is moving in the fulfillment of Scripture, that that person could be alive and on the earth today. The one that they call, we would call the Antichrist. There's people that are still searching. Is the Christ of Christmas, is he the Messiah? Mary had to make that 
decisions. She goes, God's been faithful. This is the one. You're faced with that same question as well. There's more questions. Does faith in God stand up against life's disappointments? Do believers really have a chance to change the world? Does forgiveness really overcome hatred? Does love win out over vengeance and revenge? Will mercy melt down the resistance of a hard heart? Will the church be victorious over the forces of darkness that surround us? All those are questions are there in that manger scene that we set up in our nativity sets. You see, Mary is not just holding a son in her arms. She's holding the Son of God. And she said God has been faithful to his promises, and she believed it. The question in the stable is this. Can this child really be strong enough to reverse the way things go in this world? The wonder of all, the almighty God became an unmighty child. Wheat, weak, wet, crying in the arms of a young girl named Mary. No other God would dare to get that close to flesh and blood. And yet she had all the confirmation she needed. He's helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful, and then listen to this, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised, the promised Messiah. Her eyes were open to the wonder of what God was doing. He was about to change the course of human history. She was so moved by what God was doing through her that she broke forth in a song of praise. I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. Let me just identify a couple, well, three handles for you. How to get a hold of this hope. How does God hold us up? Oh, the hope we have at Christmas is that God shows up. And even when he doesn't, he does. The hope of Christmas is that God speaks up. The hope of Christmas is that he holds us up. You can count on his promises. He is true. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servants. He, he has done great things for us. The hope of Christmas is that he's, he's extended mercy to those who fear him. He's acted with sovereignty and with providence in our world. And he's been faithful to his promise. This Christ of Christmas, do you believe in him? Here's some ways to understand, a key to understanding how God holds us up. It's interesting that Mary had a knowledge of God's word. She knew about the descendants. She knew that she was in line. She knew, she heard the promise from, from the angel. She believed it. She heard the word from, from Elizabeth. She believed it. But she knew the word of God that said there was a Messiah that was coming. One of the things of hope, you want a bedrock of hope, you got to know the word. I want to encourage you to, to know the word. Hide it in your heart so you don't sin against God. Let it be a light and a lamp to your feet and your path. And then you, you, have, to, you have to have grace. <laughs> yeah, you have to have faith to, to receive the grace of God. Mary put her faith in God and built her hope and this third thing um, I, I think is absolutely clear. It's hope to believe in the promises of God. Do you believe what God has said that, that he will accomplish, that he is who he says he is, that he'll do what he says he'll do, that he's coming again, that someday what's been wrong will be made right? Do you have your faith in a God like that? And bring your hope at Christmas. If you bow your heads with me this morning, do you believe in Jesus? Mary was convinced. This child in her was the Messiah. What about you? If you had to stand before God today, do you have faith to believe? What, what is the hope we have of heaven? Is faith in Jesus Christ. You see, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none that are righteous. No, not one. The wages of sin is death. And even though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him 
wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. Do you believe in this Christ of Christmas? Have you put your faith in him? Have you received by faith grace, atonement for your sin? Have you received the mercy of God that, so listen, (laughs) no longer a sinner condemned, but by God's mercy, you've been adopted as a child of God and you're a part of the family of God. So how do you do that? Say, oh God, I'm guilty of my sin. I confess my sin to you. I'm guilty, but I believe in Jesus. You said, God, that you sent Jesus into this world to save me. And if I believed in him and what he did by coming to earth and living a sinless life and paying the price for sin, if I believed in him and I accepted that, that you would forgive me, that you'd save me from from my sin. You'd cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And you'd adopt me as a daughter, as a son of Jesus Christ. And I believe. I believe in Christ. And so God, based on what you said, not what I said, based on what you've done, not what I've done, I'm going to accept your word and I'll put my faith, I have hope in the Christ of Christmas. You promised that you'd save me. I believe it. Thank you for saving me by your grace. And Lord, for someone today who may have prayed that prayer, I pray that your spirit would convince their spirit that they are a child, a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. Born again, part of the family of God. Lord, for all of us who are walking with you, may our faith, our hope be in you. You are faithful to your word, faithful to your promises. You have done great things for us. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. You have done great things. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.